Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world with Veronica Meduna and Alison Balance. Actor Bill Oddie was a familiar face on TV screens in the 1970s and early 1980s as part of the comedy trio The Goodies. Since then, he's become better known in the UK as an ornithologist, conservationist and frequent presenter of wildlife documentaries. He was one of the guests at the recent Auckland Writers' Festival and is now on a bird-watching and speaking tour of the country, hosted by the Royal Society of New Zealand. And Alison catches up with him at the Zealandia Sanctuary in Wellington to find out more about his passion for birds. I can honestly say, if I didn't know where it was, and I got my eyes closed, etc., etc., even if I had my eyes open, actually... I could be in Britain, I could be in Kenya, but there are things which are echoed in just about every country, wherever you go, you know. And I think a little water bird colony, now these happen to be, well, they pied shags and something like that. I just, oh, look at him, I'm sorry, I've got to get a photograph of him. So Shag swims past with a very leafy branch that yeah, he's absolutely. about to deliver to his mate. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, she thinks that branch is absolutely the bee's knees. She, she likes it, doesn't she? Yeah. And <laughs> that's beautiful. That is lovely. Makes Love, most delightful grunts as he says, yeah. Look what I've got. <laughs> what do you call yourself, Billy? Are you an ornithologist, a bird watcher, a birder? I'm certainly not an ornithologist. I've been called that, and I don't mind, you know, I'm slightly flattered, but I'd, I always regard ornithologist as being a scientist, really, and I'm not a scientist. So, yeah, just a bird watcher, really, you know. I'm not a twitcher. That's right, we're having a twitcher for next weekend. And what's a twitcher? Someone who's very manic about how many birds they see. Yeah, there was a type of bird watcher who never stops walking, you know, they're just always going somewhere. And not necessarily following a particular bird, but they, they'd find a, a, let's say you were on a small island, they would cover every inch of it and, you know, just keep moving all the time. And there's the other type who just find somewhere where it yeah, looks quite nice, there's a bit of sun on it, and I think birds might come down here. And you just sit and wait and see what turns up. And I say he's the, the first type, type he christened leggers, i.e., you know, they're always legging it somewhere. And the other type, and he included himself, were the arses, which means you, you sit on your arse and you stay there and wait to see what comes along. And I, I, I've done a lot of both, I have to admit. And I think in natural, my natural inclination is, is to be an arser. I've seen better birds by just getting in one place and think, this looks quite good, I'm going to wait here, you know. And the, the, the skill in that, of course, is, is spotting a good arsing place. You know, which is, is a genuine skill. You know, you walk into the woods and it all looks the same, but there'll be somewhere where there's a little bit of water maybe and the light hitting it, and, and that's where the birds will be too. You've got to think like a bird. 
So do you keep a night there of all the booths that you see? Not anymore. I used to be absolutely and utterly avid. I started taking notes on things, not just in the field, but copying into what was dubbed my big notebook when I was about 13 or something like that. And I've got the big notebooks for almost all my life, until about 10 years ago. And then, in some strange epiphany or burst of sort of pessimism almost, I think, I suddenly thought, why am I doing this? And so I don't keep the bird notebooks, anything, I don't keep them at all now. I just jot things in a little book, as you may know, so I'm carrying my little policeman's notebook, and, and I jot things down in there, but that's just as likely to have lines for a new article or a shopping list for new albums or something like that. And it, you know, it, it's everything in there. I, I regret it because I've used the books immensely because I've, I've written about, I don't know, about eight books, I suppose, around that, eight, ten, you know, published books. And the first few of those were like travel-type things. And what, the first two were basically about birding when I was a kid and then the next ones were going a bit further and, and then there was one which was all around the world, you know. And, and I found the, those books were very valuable then and I'd also got photos and little drawings and stuff in them. I think I'm a bit sort of disappointed in myself, really. I, sort of, I think it's sort of an admission that life is coming to an end or something, but I, I hope that's not true. <laughs> but I'm afraid it's almost like that. I thought, why do I do this? There's no point. Just go out and enjoy it. You don't have to write it all up. So now you're just focusing on the sheer pleasure of watching birds? Uh, yes, there's no doubt about that. And that sort of, it, yeah, it balances up all sorts of not quite so pleasurable things about getting older and stuff. And it also balances up the not-quite-so-pleasurable things to be a little bit more constructive, in a way, of what's going on in the world in general and people's attitudes to wildlife. And, you know, I, I work far more than I ever used to for sort of NGOs. I, I, I get fairly involved in those, and um, and a lot of the time it's, it's, it's wonderful and very ex it's exhilarating and encouraging, and above all, you meet a lot of good people doing good things. They're really working at it, these two, aren't they? That's no, delightful. So how old were you when you became fascinated with birds? Well, my first sort of bird-aware experience was finding a nest with a cuckoo's egg in it, and sort of that was... The experience was accidental, but that's what stuck in my mind. And I was about six. Then being in Britain, industrial Britain at that in... 1940-something, you know, we, all the schoolboys used to collect eggs and the like. And that's what I did. And it was a fantastic training, in a sense, because we were very careful and used to have to get to know where everything was nesting and uh, what kind of plants and trees, you know. And I think most of all, is I think, um, getting to know all the sounds, all the calls and the songs, and what they meant in some cases, you know, when you get near to some bird's nest, you know, the call will alter, and they're trying to lure you away, and all that kind of thing, you know, and it's... Uh, I'd, I'd learnt all that on my own, which is another 
one of those ironical truisms because which goes against the grain these days because everybody's encouraged to take your children out and go wild with your family this weekend. There's a big campaign at home by National Trust or someone, you know, saying, get your children to go wild, 150 things to do before you're 12 or whatever it was. And, and I was talking to an editor about it, and we, we said what they're failing to, unfortunately, accept is that it's being on your own and not being with your parents that really allows you to do your own thing and learn your own thing and learn the sort of patience as well, you know. And patience is the thing I learnt as a little kid. I just sort of come out in the wood like this and I'd be out for hours, you know, just hours, and waiting. If I knew that I'd seen this bird going there with nesting material, you know, I bet there's a nest in there, and I'd just wait and wait and stuff like that, you know. So that's how it started. I think that thing about encouraging families to take their kids out, though, there's a lot of talk about nature deficit and yes, it is. kids that's aren't right. getting yeah. out yeah. and doing things because no. actually you just don't let kids go out and do things like that on their no, own No, no, anymore. no, it's true. I'm not sure what the answer is. The trouble is I've got the comedy street lurking in there somewhere and I tend to, I tend to veer towards the frivolous at some point. And, for example, there was, there was this 50 things to do, you know, before you're 12 or something like that, like Adrian Mould or something. And these were all meant to be wild things, you know, to climb a tree. And one of them was, bury your friend in the sand. And I said, isn't the next one, dig him up again? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> What's this lot making the fuss? Saddlebacks. Tiki. Oh, saddlebacks, yes. They have a fantastic call that sounds like a car with a flat battery and it can't oh, quite yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that's called pushing, isn't it? Yeah. It's it not works. something we do very much here. Well, I would have thought it would work, and it sure as hell works in America. I yeah. mean, incredibly well. I mean, if you go into a woodland like this and you think there's nothing there, so I'm saying, you know, you just stand there and start doing that, and after about five, ten minutes, suddenly they're all over the place. This one here is just the old... Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a variation for people with less sensitive lips. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's true. Well, you try to. I can't do that. My lips start tingling. You know, it's like trying to play a trumpet or something like that. Go, which is what it is, isn't it? It's your embouchure. Well, I Trump used to play the clarinet, so well, that's why I can do it. Well, to no end. Yes, quite. <laughs> I think a tuba player is probably the greatest pishers. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of sounds rude, pishing. It does. <laughs> I think that's why it appeals to people. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. That's when you hear something like that, the music connection instantly snaps in. I mean, I'm really interested with that. I mean, sound people who we do that with, and I did a piece with a saxophone player once who was playing. He'd been copying birds and answering birds and changing the speed. And on some of them, you thought, that's unbelievably... We play, I forget what he played, a Skylark or something that slowed down. And it was just like a sort of bebop Charlie Parker song. It was just, what? That is absolutely on the beach, you know. I'm a Skylark. You know, it was all like this. 
It was incredible. And yet that, whatever that was that just did that rhythm thing. Right? It was the saddleback again. It was the saddleback whisk, because yeah. that was great, wasn't it? Beep, 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 beep. What's the most important birdwatcher's tool, your binoculars? Most important tool, which is not quite as sharp as it used to be, is my hearing. I've always maintained, and I think it's true, that in your general bird watching or wildlife watching in general, you probably hear more than you see in a way, and it, especially in the sense that it's what draws your attention to something. Now, this is cruelty beyond belief that my hearing should begin to go, because I had very, very sharp hearing, and a lot of my greatest pleasure is near to my house, up on the big hill called Parliament Hill, which looks right the way over London. It's an amazing view, and certain times of year, spring and autumn, you get visible migration. So this, this is how to make Antipodeans a little bit jealous because you don't get migration like this. <laughs> I've, I've heard this from Australians. I said, you know, I said, no, that's the thing I miss. I love your migration stuff, blimey. And, and, and it, it is very exciting because you're standing on top of this hill overlooking London and if you get a good passage on, I mean, one day I had something like 10,000 swallows, which is, you know, nearly the same as a swallow here, um, all going south having bread in Britain, you know. And all the time you, you, you hear things before you see them. There's no question about it. A lot of the time, not so much the swallows, but little call, you know, you look at them pipped up there somewhere and this sort of thing. And um, about three or four years ago, I was standing up on the hill with a friend and I could see a little bird flying above and uh, he muttered pipit. And I said, ah, oh, did it call? And he said, yeah, yeah, it called quite loud. And I went, oh, no. And that was the sad, sad day I realised I could no longer hear meadow pipits in flight. And several other species have joined that list now, and it really does, you know, it really annoys me. <laughs> Disappoints me. It's horrible. I hate it. Some of those, it's really letting the sound out, isn't it? Opening its throat, its syrinx, and, and others, you can't see that it's singing at all. That's a nice one. You've got that slightly electronic sound in there sometimes. Good. That's a beauty. So what would your words of advice be for a, a budding bird watcher? Use your ears? Yeah. Be patient. Yeah. Yeah. I do think wildlifeing, bird watching, etc., etc., have, and actually this is good in itself, have become rather more social activities, you know. Um, and you get a place like this, a good example of somewhere, you can do it that way. You can go around with one of the wardens or rangers or whatever here and they'll give you fascinating talk and so on and so forth. Do that by all means, but do it yourself too. Do it yourself too, you know. Maybe just one friend or something like that because you need the extra eyes. Oh, that's great, thanks. <laughs> be much better. Bit of a nice finale, Bill. 
He's trying to tell me to go home. <laughs> well, that's it. That was Bill Oddy. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash our changing world. Ka kite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.